0: Hi, friends! Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy.
1: guys welcome back to becoming buffy today we're talking about season four episode 18 the infamous the acclaimed where the wild things are okay and we have our brother david back with us and his lovely wife Catherine. and i'm so glad you guys are here because let's just say this is not one of my favorite episodes this is i personally think one of the worst episodes of the buffy verse i think there are some fantastic moments inside of it as there are with every Buffy episode, but this is just messy. What did you guys all think?
2: Well, I was saying as we were watching it that uh, I didn't even remember it from the first my first go-around. And then after we finished the episode, I was like, well, I remember now why I didn't remember it. (laughs) Because this episode is just a mess.
3: I was like, it was a notable step down from hush it was quite like <laughs> <laughs> you'd it's think quite a, quite a drop yeah you're getting quite the
1: spectrum of buffy episodes there with <laughs> yeah. going from like one of the top the episodes, episodes ever yeah. and then this one i mean it is season four so there is this wide range of quality when it comes to episodes like this unfortunately
0: i actually had never seen this episode before because when tabby and I. Uh, watched like the seasons because i had only watched a season one through three and then a couple years ago me and tabby sat down and re-watched one through three and then watched four through seven and this was the only episode that tabby skipped i remember being like why are you skipping and she was like trust me you just don't want to watch it like it's just awkward it's weird (laughs) and she was like nothing about she was like it literally all that happens is everyone has sex i was like all right and so I just never watched it, and this was the first time I watched it. and
4: you know i I think I could have stayed <laughs> skipping it. I gotta say, okay, I think I had a way worse idea of what this episode was. So I think going into it, i was I wasn't pleasantly surprised, but I wasn't i I didn't like violently hate it as much as I thought I would.
1: I think for me, I had the opposite experience because I have found myself dreading a couple of episodes like Go Fish and Beer Bad and others. And then I get to them and I'm like, okay, there's aspects that I don't like, but then it actually ends up being better than I thought it was going to be. But then I got to this one, I was thinking, oh man, I'm going to redeem this episode. There's going to be so much to (laughs) talk about. And I got it to it. And I was like, this is, I just, I don't know that there's much I can pull out of this episode, honestly.
4: It's hard because there's some stuff in here that you're like, ooh, this could be so good yeah. if you did it better. Yes. And that's I think it, it'll bring up some good talking points, but yes. there's just so much that I'm like, I wish I could get my hands on this. We could make it so interesting. But you just really fumbled the back. There
3: There were a lot of moments yeah. like that. There was even, um, I remember a moment in the middle of the episode with Spike where I turned to Brian and I was like, I feel like, especially for an episode with this kind of content, he was so underutilized. I feel like he could have brought, mm-hmm. especially his personality, There, he could have brought so much more like, like a lighter, more humorous edge to everything. That's him in season four in general.
1: It's just frustrating because, and we'll get to this, but I feel like Anya, this is the first real episode that we see more of her. There has literally, she's been kind of in the episodes, but never really like, the the main storyline revolving somewhat around her or around her and Xander. They've always been in the background. And because Buffy wasn't in this episode, it really kind of was more focused on her and Xander's relationship. And I felt like they could have done something with that and gone somewhere with it. But instead they decided to make the story somewhat about Buffy, even though she wasn't really in the episode. And I felt like that was probably the biggest disservice to um you know, moving forward, other characters and stuff like that. And I don't know. I just – I'm bummed because there is a lot of wasted space in this episode and in this season so far because we've talked about how we don't really like the Adam storyline – Um, and they, they have to mention Adam in here, but like, we don't even talk, we barely talk about the big bad. We barely focus on anything of substance and meaning when it comes to the other characters' lives. And I feel like this would have been such a great place to start talking a little bit more about that. Um, especially because we only have like, what, four more episodes left in the season. We've, they've barely done anything with Xander and with Giles. So it's kind of like, this was... This, this showed that the problem is not that they don't have anywhere to squeeze these storylines into the season. The problem is the writers don't know what to write for these characters. And I think that's really a problem.
3: There was something at the top of the episode that I noticed um, when like, we first see Xander and Anya back on screen. They are having the exact same conflict that they had in Hush. And I was like, wasn't that like, Mm -hmm. that was a couple episodes ago. Like, why are, it's literally the exact same argument. What, I I expected Mm. something to have happened in this regard by now.
2: (laughs) There were a ton of events in the episode, but nothing really happened. Like, tons of stuff is going on, but there's no real character growth. There's no progression in the story. There's no progression with any of the relationships, really. Everybody's in the exact same spot at the end of the episode as they were in the beginning of the episode even after a bunch of events happened, but none of the events are really pivotal at all.
1: Yeah. It felt like the episode was just to show that Riley and Buffy are better now after everything that happened with faith and with all the stuff that was happening in superstar where Buffy was questioning whether Riley was going to compare her to faith and, questioning whether or and Riley was over there like Buffy's afraid to touch me again you know like it was like oh my gosh they're over it now see they had sex the entire episode and it was like but they seemed over at the beginning of the episode so like what changed it would have almost been more impactful if they hadn't been okay at the beginning of the episode and by the end it was like oh look they came together but no like
0: having sex a bunch in your relationship doesn't mean that everything's okay like I know it's supposed Mm -hmm. to imply that in this episode but it's like all that can be is just like you guys are overlooking stuff and you're just focusing on infatuation right now
2: sex can be a distraction from having mm-hmm. to actually deal with the problems in your relationship if you're constantly mm-hmm. engaging in physical activities then you don't have to talk you don't have to sit down you don't have to like do the hard work of actually making your relationship work
3: kind of in that vein it can kind of be used to be like yeah, we have all these problems, but the sex is great in a way. Like, but we're so great physically, even though we're terrible in every other sense.
4: Well, I was just gonna say, like, maybe this is the product of the time, but like, it's just so frustrating watching. And like, my comfort is like watching shows from the 90s and 2000s, uh, just because you grew up in it and then it's very comforting. But it's very frustrating going back and watching it because there's just so much trauma that we see now. And then it's nothing is really, really dealt with. And like, Mm -hmm. we can't talk about spoilers, but there's like Buffy goes through so much, but specifically in the later seasons. And then it's just like, it's talked about, but not dealt with. And there's a difference between those two. And so it's so like, it's like when you tackle something this heavy or what they're trying to do that's heavy in this episode, but then don't really try to like, I don't even know what the word would be, but just kind of like really go into it. Like, it's, like you find out what is really happening halfway three-fourths through the episode and then it's like there's no real good resolution. Like everyone said, every every character that's like struggling in their relationship is in the exact same spot. Like even Sandra and Anya's argument... I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like, this is cool that they're having like Spike and Anya kind of be foils of each other. Like, what are they going to do with this? Absolutely nothing. Okay, so Spike leaves, and then it's like Xander and Anya are the exact same spot. The whole argument did nothing for their relationship. It just was kind of like this argument that like is kind of like just it's communication and communicate miscommunication trips are annoying. So like that mm-hmm. didn't really do much. But I don't know. It's just frustrating to see some of like traumas." And a, a buffy does that sometimes, and then they just don't deal with it or they don't really give their characters time to really deal with mm-hmm. their traumas. Um, so yeah.
1: yeah, and we talked about this over on Superstar. like it's frustrating because Riley was raped by faith and Buffy to a certain extent as well, and the show just doesn't address it. It just makes it out to be. Buffy and Riley just need to like talk a little bit about it and then they're much better. But there's no like, hey, Riley went through something super traumatic here and it's almost brushed off as Riley, Um, he doesn't, ha- it wasn't actual assault because Riley's a boy and guys always like it, you know? So there's there's a very real thing that happens here that the show just brushes right past.
2: Well, even in this episode, the traumatic stuff like the, uh, you know, the real harsh punishments for sex and things like that. Yeah, it's touched on for like forty-five seconds, and you know mm-hmm. Giles reprimands the lady, and then you just kind of move on, and it's never really brought up again. And the show doesn't even go like in depth in exploring the consequences of these actions, other than saying, "Oh, these are probably some messed up adults now," and that's all. That's <laughs> like one single line that that dwells on it, and then the episode moves on, and you get eighteen minutes of. Buffy and Riley making out in the bed
3: Yeah I was I was really <laughs> shocked at how Close to the end of the episode That confrontation was Cause that's like right. that's kind of where The real like the meat of the Issue is is with her And with, exactly. the, with the kids And like I, I kind of Was wanting some Like I don't know maybe In some way to for one of them to have Encountered one of the People that was a children like was one of the Children in the home like, something to, like, show the damage. Because obviously the, the show wants you to think that this is damaging, you know? That, like, again, that's why we have all these ghost kiddos around. But, like, I, I it's not convincing. Like, sure, yes, psychologically, intellectually, we all understand the consequences of extreme repression... And we all understand the consequences of, especially, like, repressed sexuality and being punished for any sort of, um, any sort of sexuality. I don't know, it it felt very, like, it felt weak. It it felt really, really weak.
2: It might have been interesting if the showrunners had made Tara a kid that grew up in that house. Um, Mm. Especially because Mm. of how, like, closed off and repressed Tara is at the beginning when she's introduced that would have made a little bit more sense in the context especially because of how she's hesitant in the beginning with being physical with willow and things like that might have added a little bit more depth and backstory to her character i'm um, just kind of spitballing but i think that might have made a little or bit more just of sense.
0: make us actually care cuz like once you're right. out of this episode no one cares
2: but i'm saying making a main character in the cast having come from a background like that would mm-hmm. lead to continued dialogue and continued fleshing out and continued consequences for something that we really don't see any consequences of past, you know, Buffy and Riley being stuck in a sex loop for a while.
4: And use this episode as a means to kind of talk about how sex and then how, like, um, or just being abused sexually or anything like that, and then use that as a way to help Riley... Kind of deal with what happened with Faith This could Mm -hmm. oh it was right there It was literally right there and we Mm could have had it And we didn't get literally and it was like We didn't even mention Riley when it came to that It was just like him and Buffy have sex And it was like man this could have been so good Where they were like oh my gosh could you imagine if they started out Having a ton of sex and then they had A breakthrough baby and like we need to talk and like Deal with this that would have been so cool
3: Or even like Xander and Anya Because in in the beginning Anya has that whole thing where she Again is like equates and pro- due to her own traumatic past um equates sex mm-hmm. with love she thinks if a man loves you he will yeah. not be able to keep his hands off you at all I-, I feel like there's a lot of material that could like there's again there's potential there's so much potential especially with like the um the woman who ran the home you could have gone into like the um because it's, it's supposed to be a group home like a, fo- a a like halfway home or foster house for children and there's a lot of sexual abuse and also a lot of other types of abuse that unfortunately happens in the system and it could have been a great way to show that like hey not all sexual abuse and not all sex trafficking looks like what you think it is and it could have been a way to display it's like Mm -hmm. oh maybe like show anya through like the trauma of these children be like hey maybe there's more to sex than just it being a way to communicate love And maybe there's more to love than just sex.
1: All right. Well, let's jump into the episode because then we can start talking about this stuff in more specific scenarios that are happening. Um, And I'm – yeah. Obviously, we have a lot of thoughts and stuff, so I'm excited. All right. So Where the Wild Things Are, it was written by Tracy Forbes, who also wrote Beer Bad and Something Blue. This was the last episode she ever wrote for the show, Um, (laughs) and uh, it's not hard to see why. Uh, It was directed by David Solomon, and it aired April 25th, 2000. So the title, Where the Wild Things Are, is based off of the 1963 children's picture book written and illustrated by American writer Maurice Sendak. Sendak won the annual Caldecott Medal from the children's librarians in 1964, recognizing Wild Things as the previous year's most distinguished American picture book for children, um the story was about a boy who won't take off his wolf costume so he is sent to his room without dinner and then his room transforms into a jungle and then he like gets in a boat and sails across and then finds a bunch of wild things and then you know they have they party and then eventually he tells them no you guys are misbehaving so then you must go to bed without dinner and then he becomes lonely and goes back home and the story ends funnily enough the book was kind of banned in a lot of libraries and in a lot of schools due to teachers and librarians thinking that it promoted a lot of like it was psychologically damaging and it was traumatizing to young children due to Max's inability to control his emotions and his punishment of being sent to bed without dinner. Psychologists called it too dark and the book was banned largely in the South. Um, it's actually one of the only picture books to discuss the complexities of rage. Um, what ended up changing the minds of a lot of the librarians and teachers was the fact that kids loved it everywhere and were reading it. Um, and they like, they really resonated with it. And so uh, then it gave uh, the adults a different perspective. And then it became like one of the most popular books. Interestingly enough, Sendak uh, originally was going to make the book about wild horses, but In his drawing of the story, he realized he can't actually draw horses, so he changed it to the more ambiguous wild things, which is a Yiddish expression called Vilde Chaya, which means wild animals, and it's used to indicate boisterous children, which I think is hilarious. The book would have been completely different if he had drawn horses. In Salma G. Lane's book, The Art of Maurice Sendak, Sendak discusses where the wild things are along with his other books. There's two other books. It's called In the Night Kitchen and Outside Over There as a trilogy centered on children's growth, survival, and fury. He indicates that the three books are all variations on the same theme, how children master various feelings, danger, boredom, fear, frustration, jealousy, and manage to come to grips with the realities of their lives. Fundamental to Sendak's work for over 50 years, is his trust in the validity of children's emotions. So I thought that was kind of cool. And it's you can kind of see where Buffy is trying, like what it's trying to draw from and where it's kind of trying to go. But in just like that short little blip that I read, I feel like that's already deeper than what this episode is. I know, I was about to say,
0: I was like, man, I want to go get the book.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And it's frustrating because I think if the show had kind of built on that a little bit more and said, okay, how can we kind of like address this with what's going on in our characters' lives right now? Like, let's see Riley and Buffy be angry about what happened with Faith and like really like come together and address that. Instead, it's just kind of all again brushed under the rug and they they ended up having the vengeful spirit and the rage and all that other stuff with the poltergeist who we have, again, no emotional Um, connection to, which is kind of what they're doing with Adam in this season. So I'm like, writers, what are you doing here? What are you doing? You're better than
2: this. So I don't think Buffy and Riley say anything to each other other than excuses to leave the room to have sex.
1: Yeah. They just talk about wanting to have more sex.
2: There's literally no communication between the two of them right off the heels of such a traumatic experience that... I don't know. This may not have been what the uh, writers were uh, implying or trying to do, but it's almost like the characters are just going out of their way to distract themselves from their own emotions and repress it and just have fun instead of having to deal with what they're actually feeling.
0: Which would have been a more interesting storyline. This episode also has several
1: nods to the 1980 Canadian horror film, The Changeling. It had moments like The Boy in the Bathtub, The Haunted House, The Earthquake, things like that. So as we talked about before, the episode is about repressed sexuality and behavior that when repressing something that is intrinsically part of you, you are repressing yourself and it will find a way to come through at some point and often manifest in explosive and messy ways. Whether that is portrayed as positively or negatively is up for interpretation. There are some people that say that they feel like the message of this episode counters itself, that the episode is trying to say that sex is it's good and healthy and it should be positive. But then it also has moments where it feels like sex is being used as a punishment or people are being punished for having sex. And that's not always portrayed as negatively. Um, It feels like sometimes there's conflicting messages. Um, And I'm curious to know your guys' thoughts. Do you guys feel like this episode had conflicting messages towards sex or if it was pretty clear? I
0: I was going to mention how Not necessarily the whole episode, but I feel like specifically with Buffy's character, there is this weird thing that Buffy can't have sex and not get punished. And I kind of hate Mm it. Um, She Mm -hmm. has sex with Angelus. Obviously, we know what happens there. Then it's like Buffy's body has sex with Riley, but it's not her. Then it's like then she has sex with Riley. Or I guess it was before and then it's seen as bad because Maggie Walsh, Walsh is watching it. So it's almost like Buffy's corrupting Riley. Then there's like this where it's just like, oh, they're... they're t- Don't forget Parker. Yeah, Parker, where it's like, oh, she's a slut. Mm-hmm. Like, Buffy has never just had normal sex. Like, it, it actually is annoying to me because I'm like, dude, like, can the main hero just like genuinely... Be able to have sex with her boyfriend without it being a main plot line, like it actually just kind of pisses me off, and it's in such a feminist show, it's kind of unfeminist and it's lazy story writing. Like I just, it pisses me off that it happens so many times.
2: To be honest,ly I was thinking um, I can't think of. A single time in the show over any of its seasons where she has sex and it's not a bad thing.
0: Yeah, I know. That's, oh, I wish we could talk about spoilers. But that's what pisses me (laughs) off is the fact that it's never positive for Mm -hmm. Buffy. Ever. Like, that's just, oh, it's just not, it's not a good story. Like, you do it once, innovative, interesting. You do it twice, eh, a little bit of the same thing any more than twice and you're just lazy and you you don't know how to write a good female character who can be fully feminine and strong and also enjoy sex without it being some moral lesson even in
1: episodes like I will remember you where it clearly is shown her and angel having sex her she gets her memory wiped. And, you know, we all know it's not going to last and stuff. So even if there it is shown and portrayed in a positive light, there is always something that happens afterwards that taints that a little bit or takes it away or they don't remember it. Or it's like, there's always some sort of like negative consequence. And the thing is, is that, and I, we talked about this over on Investigating Angel, my co-host Leah and I, I don't know that it's necessarily like the writers being anti-sex. I think This is a symptom of a much bigger problem where the writers don't know how to write happy, positive things unless they're trying to set you up for heartbreak. It feels like the writers will write something pleasant and happy and fun only to, like, take it away and to break your heart. Like, it's just use. As a way to shock the audience sometimes. Um, and that is a repeated pattern on the show. If you think about like some of the happiest moments on the show, and I guarantee you, one of the most heartbreaking moments is probably next, the next episode, the next scene, whatever. And so we've talked about it here about how the Buffyverse doesn't do trauma, like writing about the healing of trauma well. The Buffyverse does trauma well, but it doesn't talk about. The, the, the next important step, which is how do we heal? How, where do we go from this? What are the hard conversations we have? A lot of times it likes to skip the healing aspect and the, the healing um, process and jump straight to they're healed, they're better now, but us as the audience, we need to be We're carried still along
4: with that. We're like, wait a minute, can we go back? <laughs> yeah,
1: That's not realistic. Yeah. That's not how trauma and grief and life works. You have to go through the hard and painful process to get to the healing on the other side. And so I think sex, being used in this way is just another way in which the writers like to put their characters through hard things without having the healing on the other end. Um and it's just it is lazy writing and it's a problem. I'm gonna say that the entire episode. This is just a problem. This whole thing. It's a mess.
2: Yeah, it's like when you have a a freshman writing class and nobody knows how to write, but you know, they They'll introduce an idea, but they won't elaborate on it. And you're like, well, all these ideas are good, but we don't have any context. We don't have any substance. So, yeah. like, give us something to sink our teeth into a little bit because you tease us with these these super interesting topics, the but then there's nothing yeah. for us to go off of. It's like, okay, well, you could have done an entire episode just on Xander and Anya's struggles with Xander not wanting to have sex with her because that's an interesting topic, right? Because the reality is that most guys are are usually down for sex and uh, having one of your male characters feel insecure or feel sick or whatever it is, whatever reason he didn't want to have sex, his needs and his desires to not have sex should be taken seriously and he should be respected and it should be uh, allowed that he doesn't have sex at that point. But then... It's interesting to explore Anya's feelings to that because men are usually down for sex. so okay well let, let's dive into that let's let's explore how she feels being rejected or she feels that she's being rejected but Xander feels so frustrated because he's like my feelings aren't being respected because I didn't want to have sex and mm-hmm. I should be respected for that. I shouldn't have to give you a reason why I don't want to have sex. I should just say no and it should be left to that. That could have been super interesting. could have had a whole episode of that and it would have been. It would have been awesome. It would have been interesting. You could have had multiple episodes from each perspective uh, when it came to sex in this episode, but none of them were handled more than like a sentence or two and then just kind of brushed Mm past.
1: So Joss Whedon, these are his words about the episode. He says, it wasn't really about the sex. It was about the fallout from ignoring your friends, i.e. the ignoring of people not having sex, which... I don't know about you, but I didn't get that from the
3: episode. That explanation yeah. sounds so much like the one dude at the college party without a girlfriend. Like, that's exactly what that sounds like. <gasps> He's like, well, some of us are over here not making out. Some of us are over here alone without a girlfriend. That's exactly what that explanation sounds like. The, well, I don't know. The
1: quote feels kind of gaslighty to the audience. To me, like we made an entire episode of Buffy and Riley banging. He's it's saying, not about you. The don't sex, get it, though. guys.
4: It's like everyone's like, yeah, criticizing the episode kind of false flat on its like thesis <laughs> statement. And he's like, Nah, you guys just did not get it. It's not about that. <laughs> okay, Joss. Okay, Joss.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, and I suspected this, but uh, it was kind of. It made a lot of sense to to read about. So I see this episode as this season's bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. I don't know if you guys remember, but they wrote back in season two. They wrote an episode to write Sarah Michelle Gellar out as much as possible, so that she can go on SNL. So they made Rat Buffy. This episode was made because SMG needed to go over on Angel and film Sanctuary, which she is in for a vast majority of the episode. So because she couldn't film both of them at the same time. They had to find a way for SMG to not be in the episode as much. So they had her and Riley be in that room the entire time, which I was like, guys, you had the perfect setup to make this episode about everybody else. Everybody that's been ignored. Like I said, at the beginning of this episode, everybody that's been ignored for this entire season, make a better reason for Buffy to be gone. Say that she went to LA. Like you have, you know, Buffy went to LA. You could just say she's gone. And then like, do something else. So it, it was interesting to to learn that that was the reason why. But again, frustrating because you're like, oh, could have been so much better. All right. So Buffy and Riley are in the graveyard. And I just want to point out you know, first and foremost, um, this reminded me a lot of when Angel and Buffy slayed together in season three Choices, when it, they, they were like, Oh, honey, go get the vampire. And like it seemed very like relationship-y as they were like fighting that couple vampire. Like this was very similar to what was happening here. Um, I also do want to point out that this is the first time that Buffy and Riley have slayed together in a graveyard on Buffy's turf and not with the initiative. Um, we have seen riley and buffy slay together but it was always with riley in full gear buffy seemed like she was just kind of tagging along and joining with him but in this one riley's in civilian clothes he's in buffy's cemetery it 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 was an actual shift and i really liked that and i missed that because this season has been so freaking focused on the initiative we have not gotten enough graveyard scenes so this was one of the best scenes of the of the episode
2: (laughs) I thought that was a. This is the healthiest scene I've seen from them in several episodes.
0: (laughs) Right? Yes, exactly. They're like
2: bonding and doing fun outings together, and you know, fighting demons.
1: Doing something other than having sex. And but for right from the the get go, the show is trying to convey to us that oh look, Buffy and Riley are in a healthy place. They're on the mend. Everything with Faith is behind them. Um, also, it's possible that Buffy feels more comfortable with Riley than she ever has before. By the fact that she's able to be herself fully um in the cemetery, which is something that she's really kind of wrestled with. So I think that they're like oh look, they experienced their first hurdle together. They're stronger than ever. But. Anyway, that's probably about as deep as I'm going to get into this episode. So they fight. Buffy kind of says the you know thesis statement of the episode, you take Fang, I'll get horny. Immediately we're like, okay, see where this episode's going to go. They get all hot and bothered. Then we cut to them having sex and that's pretty much all it's going to be for the rest of the episode. Um, so in the middle of the night, we kind of have like the camera floating through Lowell House, which is Riley's dorm house. We have the same music from this year's girl when Faith was dreaming and then roaming around in Sunnydale. It's the siren call. It's also the same riff from Frozen Two. Christoph Beck likes to recycle his siren themes. Um, we have this weird scene where Riley gets up in the middle of the night and like hears something, but we don't hear it, and then he like roams around, goes in the bathroom. And then turns off the drip in the bathtub, uh, foreshadowing for the boy later on. Um, we also have the music from Helpless here from when Crowlick was uh, chasing. I know. No talks, I, know I that? love that music.
4: I just, I love like horror compositions. Soundtracks? Yes. They're the yes. best. They, they They always use strings and I'm like, I just wish we could listen to it more.
1: All right. So then we cut to the creep the creepiest music. It's an ice cream truck. Who decided that they were going to make this ice cream truck music minor?
0: <laughs> well, but also when did Sander get an ice cream truck? Did I miss that storyline? Nope,
1: this is the first time we've seen that. This is his fourth food service related job in the season so far. I think he was he was the bartender, he was a hot dog on a stick employee, and then he was a pizza delivery guy, and now he does ice cream so it is funny though if you guys notice so at the front of the ice cream truck when he pulls up you can see on the dashboard there's an advertisement in front of the driving wheel that's advertising giant insects as a little nod to um teacher's pet so
0: you know we will never be rid of that episode
2: (laughs) the other worst yes the
1: infamous
4: episode I don't know. I think this one might might be worse than Teacher's Pet, you guys.
2: <laughs> I don't know. Teacher's Pet's pretty bad.
4: <laughs> no, Teacher's Pet's bad, guys. I think we've forgotten how bad it is. <laughs> I
1: don't know. We need to go back and re-record no. it. No, just kidding. Let's
4: no. not, never, ever
1: going to watch that episode ever again. All right. So Anya and Xander are having an argument. Xander wants her to come to this party at Riley's house. Anya is not comfortable with it because she was an ex-vengeance demon, which I kind of felt like well, maybe it's maybe slightly irrational because there's no way anyone's going to know that she's a, she was an ex-demon. I feel like Xander is a little bit brushing aside of her concerns and is not necessarily listening to her. And I think that's the rub of their relationship in this episode is the fact that neither one is really listening to the other one and taking their concerns into consideration, which is a huge problem in a relationship. Uh, Xander puts his foot in his mouth, talks about how no guy's going to be noticing her. So Anya's like, okay, you don't find me desirable. And then Xander's like, wait a minute. Is this because we didn't have sex last night? And then they go into this whole conversation where Anya's like, this has happened twice. This must mean we're breaking up. She's like, you've grown tired of me. I was a vengeance demon for thousands of years. I saw this happen to women. And Xander's like, there's a lot more to you and me than sex. And I do appreciate that this is something that Xander has remained pretty consistent on throughout you know, the four seasons that we've seen him, where he views sex as more than just a physical thing. Um, but it is frustrating that... We haven't gotten past this part of Anya and Xander's relationship Um, because like Catherine mentioned, this felt like something they were addressing back in Hush and we've had multiple episodes since then.
3: At the beginning, when I, again, watching this for the first time and everything, I appreciated this part. Having watched it, it's a little soured now, but initially I was like, fantastic, a piece of 90s media communicating that men aren't horndogs and that they care for something deeper in a relationship Mm -hmm. because i feel like there is really that assumption that like all men want sex all the time always and to be Mm -hmm. especially in that culture like you had you had like this idea that like being a virgin as a dude was something that was like embarrassing and that like you know if you're not Mm -hmm. constantly getting it then you're less of a man And then to have a male character be like, hold on, there's more to this. Like, that it felt, again, at the top of the episode, felt very powerful.
2: Catherine brought up the point that this is around the time when movies like American Pie are coming out. So there's there's a very big uh, cultural um, push in media at the time for, like, shaming guys who are not having sex, glorifying casual sex, um, you know, showing that all young men only want sex and they're obsessed with sex and they will do anything to get it and they'll you know they would never turn it down regardless of where it's coming from or what's going on in their life you know um so having that In the episode, I thought it was interesting. I just kind of wish they had taken it a little bit more seriously.
1: Right. And that's something that I appreciated about Teacher's Pet because it did actually address that because it was all about like you are as manly as how many women you've had sex with and Xander's a virgin over there and he gets taken advantage of and at the end of the episode – the idea is that it's it doesn't matter how many people you've slept with like that. That's not what makes you a man, um or at least that's what the episode was trying to convey. And so I felt like that little nod, especially in this moment where they're talking about sex and Xander's over here, like I don't feel the need to have sex constantly, is possibly a growth moment for xander i and we'll talk about it in a minute. I feel like unfortunately, it is undone by what happens later on in the episode, which.
3: I have thoughts. We'll get to that. I I had, like, sort of in the argument when Xander's like, is this about us not having sex last night? And Anya's like, well, that obviously means we're breaking up. I, I feel like it sort of gives voice to this thing that a lot of women who grow up in sexually repressed spaces think, which is where you're told, especially like the kind of purity culture we come mm-hmm. from, you're told that man's attraction to you is your responsibility and so and so you have to constantly be mindful of the possible sexual thoughts that someone else could be thinking about you and as a result Mm -hmm. like you know when you're younger you're taught like okay you deflect it all but then you're told once you get married it's gonna be like you know they're gonna want to all the time and you're going to have to be there all the time and if they don't want sex with you something's going to be wrong that's kind of all you're good for that's what Mm -hmm. all guys want that's what all guys see and obviously Anya being a vengeance demon has seen like the other side of that where like for her her experience is like once guys do stop wanting sex they leave um but that's again because she's achieved vengeance for other traumatized women (laughs) Her testing
1: pool is all traumatized women. It she's never seen the healthy positive side effects of a good yeah, relationship. She's definitely
3: she has a very skewed sample. Um, it's not representative. <laughs> right. But again, it it I right. appreciate giving voice and also giving like a a giving that experience to one of the characters in the show to be like, you can be damaged. Your view of sex can be damaged even if you're a sex positive person. Like, it kind of goes both ways. Like, yes, repression is also very bad and also leads to other disorders and also leads to other emotional barriers. But same thing as going the complete other way. It can completely distort your view of what sex can or can't be used for in a relationship.
1: The gang is in the comments and they're discussing how the vampire and the demon were working together. Uh, to defeat Buffy and Riley and how that's highly unusual because most everybody tends to ignore vampires, seeing them as like the lowest of the low. Um, They bring up the obligatory big bad of the episode or of the season. They're like, we have to bring the writers are like, we have to mention Adam. So here's Adam. Boom. Okay. Now we can talk about other things. So then Giles is like, all right, well, you guys, the next several nights, he's talking to Riley. He's like, you should take the initiative out. You should focus your patrol in this area. Riley's like, um, I'll let them know, but you know, we have everybody having a party for this time. And Giles is like, wait, what party? And I don't think that you should do a party at a time like this. Whose idea was that? And I really appreciate it. We don't see a lot of backbone from Riley. So when there are moments where Riley's like, no, we're going to do it like this, I'm like, oh, hey, like- that's actually something of substance. Like I can hold on to this. Because a lot of times it just feels like Riley is it, – it's hard to get like a firm grasp on boring. who he is so when there's moments. He's boring. But when there's moments of him like asserting his uh, desires or something that he wants to do, I'm like, oh, oh, it's the bare minimum, but I'll take it.
2: <laughs> you know what's funny is like – because Riley, you know, Riley's the good old soldier boy. I think that the show would have actually been service better to have – Riley been more stereotypically military, um, more bullheaded, more brash, more egotistical. You know, more uh traditionally masculine in his traits. Just make him spicier, you know. Because uh, right now Riley is like <laughs> the wonderbread of boyfriends. He's just there and he doesn't really do anything. You know, like it would have been. It would have been interesting to see that, and then you could you could have his feelings towards Buffy and her being stronger than him would have made more sense because he is coming from an extremely stereotypically masculine point of view, who's then very threatened by his superpoweredly uh strong girlfriend. That would, that would have made more sense to his character, I believe.
1: Instead of actually being willing to go there and get into the nitty gritty of Riley and show like the toxic masculinity of the initiative through Riley, we talked about this in Hush. They decided to do that through Forest. Forrest is the one that's going to represent all the negative aspects of that. And so what happens is you're left with Riley, who is just a reflection of everybody else. Someone on uh, TikTok actually said it really well. Riley simply exists to hold up as a mirror to everybody else. He only is a reflection of everyone else around him. And so because of that, he has no... Uh, desires of his own. He is not a a character that stands well on his own. He only he's only in service of everybody else, and that's a huge problem on the show. So Riley's like, "Hey, you're welcome to come to our party tonight." Jaws is like, "Oh, mm, I'm going to go have some adult time at the espresso pump." And Willow, there's a a line that was cut from the episode. Willow goes, "You have grown up, friends," and she's all like hurt about it. And yes, he he is a grown up Willow. So then Buffy and Riley not so subtly leave to go have sex real fast before class. We have this funny exchange where Willow kind of clues in on what's happening. Giles is like already figured it out. Would rather just not talk about it. Just like breeze right past it. But Willow has to go and like spell it out for him. And he's like, okay, yes. Thank you, Willow. I appreciate that. Can I mention
4: too like the contrast between like – I mean, we we kind of see a little bit of it later on when they're in, like, the frat house later between, like, Willow and Tara and such. But I think it's just, like, it, it's a very stark difference between, like, Buffy and Riley who feel very comfortable by being very, like, um, obviously, like, caressing each other's arms and physical in front of each other. Kind of, like, not being cautious about the fact that they can be like that. And then there's, like, Willow and Tara not like they're both like folded arms not even like showing Mm -hmm. the fact that they're like together and then even later when they're making like innuendos to each other and she just puts a hand on her knee and then tara like you know is like oh like get off of me sort of thing it's just interesting how it's like they feel Mm -hmm. the comfortability of showing that sexuality and then them leaving everyone knows what's happening and yet like will and tara are like sitting over over, across from them
1: yeah yeah, and I think part of that is censors, but part of that is I don't think Willow and Tara are out yet. So they're not quite at that place where they can tell their friends.
4: Oh, I but forget I that that's the that... case right now. Oh yeah, never mind. Yeah, they're not them. out. Yeah, I don't think Giles yeah. knows. I think the only one who knows nobody right now knows. is Buffy. We know, no, so Buffy I just figured know. everyone else said never mind.
1: Buffy doesn't know. No one knows. They think they're just friends. So the the, the us as the audience, we know, but nobody else knows. All right, then we cut back to Lowell House. Buffy and Riley are banging again. Forrest is complaining because all the lines that the writers give him are negative. Uh, Graham is uh, his sounding board.
0: I will say, (laughs) it would be a little weird if you and your friends all lived in the same house and you walk past and hear your friend having sex. That's a little weird. It's a little weird.
2: So when I was in the army and I lived in the barracks, that happened all the time and it was so awkward you just be walking down the hallway and hearing people have sex in rooms as you're going by and it's always weird and it's always awkward and it's especially when you know both parties because like i had friends who had girlfriends and i i was i knew and was friends with their girlfriends and i'd walk by that guy's room and hear everything going on and be like well next time i see them it's gonna be freaking weird and awkward
0: that's so (laughs) awkward
1: it, it is actually far more common. I mean, everyone has a story about hearing overhearing someone, you know. And I mean, think back to like uh, even just like 100 or so years ago, people used to live in – or I guess longer than 100 years now, but a couple hundred years ago, people used to live in log cabins that was one big room, and they would have like 15 kids. I'm sure having sex in the same room as your other family members was just – that's what happens.
4: That is actually insane. I mean, insane. they talked about wow. it like
2: on the Mayflower on the way over – you know, there's a, a hold of a ship where everyone lives and there's 150, 200 people in oh, this hold, and it's all God. one big room, you know, so
0: Trauma.
2: like they would hang sheets up, <laughs> they would hang sheets up to like yeah. little partition spaces by themselves, but it's still just a sheet. There's the, the only thing separating you and your husband or your wife or whatever, having sex from everybody, 200 other people in the same room is just a little sheet.
0: Respectfully, I would never have sex. I, I be usually like, I just, I <laughs> could never. If I knew, like, oh, everyone here is just going to be wherever I'd be, like, well, guess we're
4: just, we're how just are you settling. able to enjoy it?
2: I mean, it, it is eight to nine months long, the, tri- the trip over.
3: You just, you do everyone the service of waiting until the sun goes down and you hope as many people are asleep as possible. I think in our westernized and modern
1: society having sex as private as it is is a newer concept because civilizations and people for years and years and years like the communities were smaller the houses were smaller it just it was more commonplace i mean there's some cultures where the the nobility would actually have to have sex the first night in front of all of the other nobility oh so you had a consummate god about that
2: yeah
0: oh.
2: a, that uh you know yeah
0: you have to think about this too
2: leah and this is kind of funny but um do you really think that the puritan men on the mayflower were like causing their girls to be all that loud so it's probably (laughs) oh
0: oh, lord the women are literally just just absolutely silent you just hear the bed rocking they're like okay well most
1: (laughs) <laughs> Most likely, what happened is the women were just fully clothed, and you probably couldn't see anything anyway because it's just their skirts. Yeah. Like, because it's not about getting
3: the women off. This it's is so men. mortifying. This You're is mortifying. mortifying. <laughs> Loud
2: female work going on or anything. This is
3: quite a derailment, but I am enjoying this conversation. <laughs> Hopefully the listeners are too. They're
1: like, what in the world? So like we knew it was the sex episode, but hey, you know what? You guys knew what you're getting into.
4: When you don't give us much to talk about in this episode, then we're going to trail off into our own more important
3: yeah, we'll topics. we'll make <laughs> fun and talk about people having yep. sex on the main floor.
0: I wouldn't call that fun. <laughs> also, okay,
1: speaking of sex, because that's just going to be my transition for the rest of this episode, uh, Forrest, constantly obsessed with Riley's sex life. What is going on here? Like, he's over here like, oh, you got to be kidding me. When did these two ever come up from air? Literally, like, he's just back and forth each episode.
2: Everyone it's- in the comment section on TikTok thinks that Forrest has a crush on Riley.
0: Oh, we talked he about all does! Oh he my gosh, I've been saying this for yeah. so long. There is no logical reason that you should care about your friend's sex life that much unless you're into them sorry like oh i can't he's he's he he's he wants him he wants riley
1: (laughs) graham slaves to the rhythm good old graham
2: (laughs) graham sucks at putting his own putting himself out when he's on fire he literally just lays there on fire like roll around my dude (laughs)
1: Then we cut to the next day. We have Anya walking alone, all sad, puzzled and upset by her earlier argument with Xander. And, of course, she runs into Spike, who, at this point, it feels like the writers are finding any situation they can to shoehorn Spike into the episode because they don't know what to do with him. But I got to say, the chemistry between these two was fantastic, and they need to put them together far more often because they I were about honestly that too. the more interesting part of this episode. Yeah, I was
3: like, can we just have a whole episode of just them two? Uh, genuinely, like one of the even though it's just like a like a total of 2 minutes i think it one of the best like most enjoyable moments of the episode the fact
1: that spike's impotent like you know they they've been subtly and not so subtly referring to the fact that spike is chipped as he's impotent and he's over there trying to scare anya and it's not working i, I kind of like to think of it as a metaphor of spike's trying to get a girl and it's just he can't it's kind of funny when you think about it that way Spike and Anya both realize that they have something in common. They're both demons or ex demons. They can't do what they like to do anymore. They both have relationship problems. And so they decide to go out for a drink. Then we go back to Lowell House, and the party is in full swing. And we have Buffy and Riley completely ignoring their friends' groups and just like staring straight at each other and. Not so subtly implying that they want to go back upstairs. Forrest gets frustrated again.
0: This is the only time where I actually agree with Forrest. If I was genuinely in a conversation with my friend (laughs) and they were literally just staring at their significant other the whole time, not even paying attention to me, I'd be like, just go. Just go. It's okay. Like, that would just be annoying to me. I'd be like, okay. Like, uh, clearly you don't want to be here.
2: Third wheeling when your friends are in the like, we want to have sex all the time phase is the worst. It's like, so y'all don't want me here. And you guys, yeah. like, making, you know, uh, F me eyes at each other all the time, like, it is making me <laughs> uncomfortable. I'm gonna leave, so you guys can sleep together and do what you clearly want to do. Also,
3: their, like, flirting and su- supposed to be tension in this episode is so awkward. It's like, it- it's like, It's the type of, like, tension and, like, sexual energy that is described in, like, a fanfic that was very clearly written by a 12-year-old. This is, like, 2004 Harry Potter fanfic type physicality happening. It's just, it made me so
1: weirded out. Well, I'm dying, Catherine, because you haven't seen the rest of season four. And this is tame compared to some of the lines that Riley and Buffy have had for each other. Also, the only time you've seen them interact is when they were completely silent. So you didn't really have to worry about that. But it's hard to tell if are And we've talked about this. It's hard to tell if there's no chemistry between Sarah Michelle Gellar and Mark Lucas or if their writing is just so horribly awful
0: that no amount of chemistry can overcome that. It's just so funny because like... The first three, like, seasons, we were starved for anything for Buffy and Angel. Like, literally the smallest little hand grab, we were like, please, please have sex. And then it's like, now it's like they're giving us it. And we're like, please, dear God, just never have them on my screen again.
1: All right. So I do appreciate that Xander's having this conversation. We jump in the middle of him telling Willow and Anya and Buffy about his embarrassing moment in the ice cream truck where a bunch of families overheard him and Anya talking about having sex, which I thought was hilarious um he goes i don't know a whole herd of them and some parents it was pretty embarrassing which welcome to life with anya which i wanted to be like no xander that was all you you were the one that was shouting about that and ready to take off your clothes don't blame this on anya which was strike number 1 for me with xander in this episode and i'm yes i will be keeping track because it has been a good long time since we've actually had something to criticize xander about um and unfortunately i think that's because he hasn't been on the screen very much i'd like to say it's because he's changed but I don't know. This episode felt like season two and three Xander for me.
2: He makes some poor decisions in this episode.
1: So then we go back to Anya and Spike sitting together on the couch. Spike is absolutely manspreading. I don't know if you guys notice he's like taking up three-fourths of the couch and Anya's like taking up as little space as possible. Um, they're talking about their Past lives as demons and vengeance demons, and they're like, you know, you took the killing for granted and then it's
3: gone, and you're like, I wish I appreciated it more. Spike stopped and smelled the corpses, you know? Again, severely underutilized. I wanted more of this.
1: So we have back in the party, we have this guy, Roy. Tabby and Leah, do you guys recognize Roy from anywhere? Who's Roy? The guy at the orgasm wall.
2: I recognize Roy from my freshman level uh, philosophy classes because he sounds like every (laughs) college freshman trying to flirt ever.
4: True. He looks familiar, Sarah, but where is he from? Usually I'm really good at these things. He
1: is in Beer Bad. He's one of the cavemen.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. To be fair, they're in prosthetics like the whole episode.
1: They did this actor dirty. He had to be a caveman and then he had to like his his only role in this episode was to be at the orgasm wall. Anyway, he's doing the same – spouting the same stuff he did back in Beer Bad when he's trying to get this girl. He's trying to sound real smart and everything. He puts his hand on the wall and uh, starts to have an orgasm. And the girl – the girl's like, man, are you all right? If I were her, I'd be like, bye.
0: Bye. This seems really seriously. If someone started doing that, I'd be like, I'd be running. I'd be like, this is terrifying. She downplays it so much and you're like, hmm
1: I, I think I think this should skeeve you out a little bit more.
2: Well, she didn't run away from his super terrible French pickup line, so maybe <laughs> she was at least a little bit into
1: <laughs> So then we see Julie. She's standing by a bunch of medals and a bunch of trophies, and Xander approaches her. And immediately, warning signs start going off for me. I'm like, Xander, what are you doing? What are you doing here, Xander? And he immediately starts trying to impress her. And they have like this small little moment, which would be super cute, except for one small detail. Xander has a girlfriend. What is happening in this scene? Did anybody else pick up on this or is this just That's me? That's what made me no. so
0: mad. I was like, did I miss the scene where they broke up? Because literally just a scene ago, he was telling her how they need to work through it and how they're not breaking up and all this stuff. And then they have one fight and he's hitting on some.
3: Literally, we. I I had to pause it. I, I paused it and turned to Brian and we i went on for like 10 minutes i'm like one this is the xander i know unfortunately Mm -hmm. but two here it is what what a hypocrite what an asshole what an asshole i was like genuinely i was like again from where we were at the beginning of the episode where he was like Trying to like explain to Anya that, like, hey, I feel like there's more to our relationship than just sex. And then he goes out and hits on another girl. Like, yeah, so it's like
0: clearly Anya had some validity in what she was thinking because clearly you are bored. Like, otherwise, you other girls wouldn't be entertaining to you. Like, Mm. and he was trying to gaslight her and be like, no, it's, you know, it's not just about sex and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, clearly it is. Like, clearly Anya had some some standing
2: that scene would have made way more sense and it would have made xander way less of a douchebag if it had been after they had the whole fight slash breakup thing in the party if they just waited for him to hit on this girl until after that then you, it would have made xander seem like way less of a joke yeah
3: if this was like him having that fight cuz they're kind of like against this wall and like If they had that fight and then the next scene we see, we follow Xander, he storms off and he like runs into this wall because he doesn't know where to go because he's angry. And then like, and then this encounter happens. I'd be like, okay, like granted right after an explosive kind of breakup is not the time to immediately go and like try to move on to someone else. But at the same time, it's more understandable. Like I would believe it. And I would also not hate Xander as much for it.
0: Well, also the nerve to then get mad at Anya for showing up with Spike when he was hitting on a girl. I'm like, you like you stupid ego. That's all it is. It's just his ego. I'm like, dude, like she's not doing anything that you weren't doing, except hers is actually platonic. Like, her and Spike did nothing. Like they just talked about you. Yeah,
1: they went and they talked about you versus this has nothing to do with Anya. And she even asks him, who are you here with? And he says, right now I seem to be here. That's not an answer, Xander. That's complete deflection of the question. I I think what was frustrating for this moment for me was the fact that Xander and Anya are over here having this seemingly, the, the episode's making it out to be this big argument about like not having sex and all this other stuff, when it feels like there's actually another thing that they could have actually been arguing about something, a bigger problem, and an underlying problem that possibly Anya is suspecting. And so she's making it about the sex thing, but her intuition is telling her there's something else there. And so I felt like the entire episode is about Anya and Xander having this argument over here when there's a glaringly obvious problem that this show is showing us right here that's not actually being addressed. So hopefully they're going to address this. They're going to go somewhere with this. But I don't know. This episode is so messy. It's making me think that this is a one and done type of thing where we're just going to kind of move on after this. And we're all going to be going, wait a minute. Is, Is Xander actually into Anya? I thought we'd move past that part. So all right. So Buffy shows up again. Another flimsy excuse to go off and have sex. So then we follow a guy, Evan, who comes down, sees Roy by the orgasm wall. We have another orgasm wall moment. (laughs) What even is this?
3: That made me so uncomfortable because there's like multiple people. (laughs) They're all like watching each other, like taking turns. The
1: pilgrims all
3: over again. (laughs) It gave me a little bit more weird combination of like, again, this episode just makes such a mess of everything but like a combination of like glory hole and orgy at the same time kind of where it's like (laughs) you you don't know where the source of pleasure is coming from but then it's also a group experience somehow as it was (laughs) was very weird and I, i did not i was very confused
1: an orgasm wall who who wrote who wrote who wrote this tracy Come on. I, w-
4: I just want to talk. This would absolutely happen, though. If there was a wall like this, everyone would absolutely line up and be this stupid with it. Like, at a frat party, <laughs> like, people are weird and gross. Like, I don't know, dude. I feel like this is very reasonable. It's uncomfortable and weird and gross, but, like, I feel like this would happen.
2: I could. Maybe. It depends on the party. because True, it depends on what party. You could have just, like, yeah, you could have, like, a bunch of vibrators on the wall, and you're not going to have a bunch of people lining up to use them which is basically what this wall is doing. Because um, this turns from like a normal, just like, oh, let's have fun and play beer pong party to like a sex party pretty quickly.
1: Right, you literally have people doing spin the bottle, which is so juvenile, in one room. And in the next room, they're all lining
3: up to have an orgasm. Like, And also, I understand that censors, they can't show anything. But my mind is like, when guys finish, they produce something. So I'm like, oh, I was, I was the, the same do. thing. I was like, yeah. that's gonna
0: be so gross, <laughs> and all these men are just it's walking so out of here with nasty stained pants.
2: Well, how strong these orgasms are! These girls are not going to be clean either, so there's just going to be messes musty. everywhere.
0: Oh. Oh God, no, and house really parties, yeah. house parties like that already <laughs> smell so bad because people go and have sex in the rooms, aka Riley and Buffy. So it's like you have that on top of just people just juicing up. The freaking wall, like, that's nasty.
1: No, guys, the worst part is Willow goes into the bathroom and uses the towel to wipe her mouth. Oh,
2: no! At a flat house, those dudes are wiping their butt with it and then hanging it back up without cleaning it. You know they are.
4: Dude, Sarah, the difference between your brain and my brain in that bathroom scene was I was like, "Why is she drinking from the faucet?" That's gross. And you're just thinking, "No, like, same." Oh, I the thought towels. that too. I was like,
0: <laughs> "I was like, ill girl, are you that
1: thirsty?" Like- <laughs> <laughs> there's beer downstairs. Like, come on. <laughs> no, but I was thinking about the fact that like it was a green t- look like a frat green towel. Someone must have used the bathroom after using the orgasm wall. Like, don't touch anything in there. That's all I'm gonna say
4: oh my god guys we we made this so much more traumatizing i know i'm so sorry okay moving on
3: we're making it so much worse you can't be a podcast about analyzing the show and then not analyze (laughs) the show
1: there is a line that um is cut out roy the first guy says told you you'd like it after evan comes up and touches the wall he says someone called china our wall is greater (laughs) (laughs) that's
3: actually so funny they should have kept that one in (laughs) I don't know how I would have reacted to that in the moment because, again, like, it's so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I-, I feel like it would have just, like, skeezed me out more.
2: Also, you just helped your bro get an orgasm, too. Uh,
3: in front of everyone without warning. I don't
2: know how flat that is.
4: I'd be like, what the hell? Why <laughs> that would feel like a violation, honestly, if someone said, hey,
1: touch this yeah. ball without telling me what was going to happen. I would not be happy. Yeah. Um, also, it is kind of funny. There are a couple shots, and there's, like, that one girl who keeps going back to
2: the wall. Like, they keep showing her. And you're like, okay, dude. Like, Yeah, she was over, she was over there for, like, 20 minutes later. She's still at the wall. like, geez, girl. Like,
4: <laughs> give some other people a turn. <laughs> Y'all cannot be friends after this. If I see you on campus, we are not friends. <laughs> we are not talking to each other. Have you guys seen those videos
0: of, like, pastors, like, putting a Bible on someone, and they're, like, freaking convulsing and they're like I'm expelling the demon out of him blah 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 blah. that's what that gave me when she literally was like shaking and they all were <laughs> holding her i was like <laughs> i was like what is this
1: oh yeah heaven forbid you you just don't make eye contact while touching the wall could you imagine trying to oh sarah <laughs> could no you, could you imagine, <laughs> could you imagine trying to film this this we
4: episode with all your fellow actors we're like i have to do what <laughs> i would simply be like no i'll find another job like all these actors they they at their own like you know decision was like yes i'll take this job so i don't feel bad for them they knew what they were getting themselves into they read the script
2: i always thought about that like because extras or small characters in movies will always be doing the absolute most because they're like oh, i'll get 10 seconds mm-hmm. of screen time i better stand out like, how do you do something like mm-hmm. that, and then you go home at the end of the day, and you look at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, I'm proud of the work I did today. <laughs> I was orgasm while girl number three.
4: <laughs> but it ain't nothing but it's honest work. <laughs>
1: This is a slight tangent, but I I thought about this while watching the episode because you have extras in the background and you're told this is a frat party where everybody's hyped up sexually because of what's going on with the poltergeist. So the instructions to the extras is going to be make out do things like that. Like I wonder as an extra, like that would be, that would be a lot to have to go in there. And like those takes are a lot for For hours hours and have to like do these Mm -hmm. things. Like obviously, hopefully there's guidelines and things that are put into place to where, you know, it's, you go in with someone and say, okay, this is my partner. We're going to be making out instead of it just being two extras that don't know each other paired together. But, um, I don't know. I just think about that with scenes like this, it's gotta be pretty awkward. All right, speaking of which, uh, speaking of sex, because, you know, again, my segue, uh, Willow and Tara have this conversation, which this entire conversation was a euphemism. It 100% was. But apart from that, I actually had like kind of a revelation as I was listening to it because like they're talking about horses. They're talking about ponies. I don't think they're actually talking about actual horses here. Um, But then Tara says... I learned to ride when I was a kid. It's fun. And by the way, most horses don't like arm very much. And then Willow says, I had a bad birthday party pony thing when I was four. I look at horses. I just see really big ponies. And obviously, like, there's a literal and there's a metaphorical because they had to get past all the sensors and stuff. But I thought it was really interesting that out of the entire Scooby gang, the only one that was actively, like, they seemed like they were immediately affected by the poltergeist as if like the poltergeist took over for a second was tara like you don't see that with anya you don't see that with uh willow or or you see it with graham uh you see it with graham yeah i was mostly referring to like this within the scooby gang but it makes me wonder if the poltergeist was was embodying people that have traumas in their life. Um, Because we don't know very much about Tara's past, like her life when she was a a child and all that other stuff. Um, But the response that she gives to Willow in this moment where she says, don't touch me, and she says, that's disgusting. And then she runs away. It makes me feel like there's something that's happened in Tara's previous um, experiences, whether romantic, whether with family, that has led to this moment um, because we don't see that with anybody else. And I thought that was interesting.
4: I That is interesting, Sarah, because I didn't ever view it like that. I just thought it was the house because it's very interesting that we see a plethora of heterosexual couples making out in the house and as soon as like a woman touches another woman even on the knee it's something super small like the house kind of takes over to be like no this is gross is it this is disgusting to kind of project that onto the relationship to have them stop if that makes sense
1: yeah and i I don't – yeah, and again, like, it's interesting that that's the thing. That's the most sexual we've really seen them be in an overt way, Um, and it ends up being portrayed as bad and negative, Um, but – I, I think it's more of a reflection of Tara's own subconscious. Like the poltergeist can only maybe affect people who've had traumatic pasts, who've had something like this happen. We don't know enough about the people that it does actually inhabit, like Julie. We don't know if she actually has trauma in her life, and that's why it affected her in that way. Um, but it's really interesting that it doesn't affect anybody else aside from Buffy. Um, but I think that it's not the poltergeist inhabiting Buffy. I think it's the poltergeist feeding off of Buffy. Um, which is a different thing than what happened with Tara. So I don't know. I'd be more curious to see. Hopefully moving forward, we'll learn more about Tara's backstory. So Tara and Willow separate, Tara rushes upstairs, then Spike and Anya walk right in, Spike's immediately like, hey, I know these guys from somewhere, and Anya, who is so terrified of the initiative earlier, is like, yada yada, yeah, I had a couple beers, I'm good, alcohol's given her courage, she's like, it's, let's have fun, and Spike's like, what are you doing, you brought me here, you betrayed me, and then Xander walks up, and immediately instead of saying, hey, what's going on? Where have you been? Immediately goes into accusatory mode. You brought him here. This is crazy. We had a little fight. That just means we need to work our way through some stuff. It doesn't mean you rebound with the evil undead. Of course, Xander immediately jumping to the worst conclusion possible without checking in with Anya first. Anya's like, we didn't have sex. If that's what you mean, that's all I do now, not have sex. Xander says, you're overreacting, says the guy that was literally thinking about cheating on his girlfriend just a few minutes ago. We had a fight, but see, that's okay. It's normal. Anya's like, no, our relationship is ending. They continue to escalate to the point where they're like, fine. They like kind of break up, I guess, and then walk away to separate parts of the party. And Xander, hmm, funnily enough, decides to go and join a spin the bottle circle when he sees Julie, confirming all of our suspicions from the very beginning.
4: Yeah, this has made it way more Weird. I was like, wait. So was she right? Like, are we gonna address this?
3: Yeah. And also, frankly, would have saved mm-hmm. everyone a whole. We all lot know of this time. is not gonna end well. I'm just
1: gonna. I'm just calling it now. It's a Joss Whedon show.
3: It's not gonna end well.
1: All right. So Xander spins the bottle, and wouldn't you know, it points to Julie. So they go in, but Xander doesn't follow through. He decides to kiss her on the cheek. And I'm like, Xander, what are you doing, dude?
4: Don't be in the game if you're just going to do that. Like, you know what you're doing. Like, if you're going to say you're going to- I think someone.
1: we're supposed
4: to-, to give him props.
3: Yay, he kissed her on the cheek. Well But you done. went yeah. into the game. No, I-, I think that was supposed to be, supposed to be like him getting cold feet at the last second, being like, no, actually. I do but love then- Anya.
1: She's yeah. the one for me. No, he doesn't get props for this. I refuse.
2: He still kisses her, though, even though it's on the cheek. It's still a kiss.
1: So Julie uh, gets possessed by this poltergeist, starts to make out with him quite violently. Uh, she kind of comes to, says, I don't know. I'm sorry. And then runs out. So Xander is looking for her to try and like calm her down and stuff. Um, So he hears sobbing and then underneath the stairs, we have Julie hacking off her hair with a straight razor and crying and saying, I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm bad. And I want to talk real fast. So over on Investigating Angel, we had this episode called She that was all about female sexuality and is actually about female genital mutilation. It's about this uh, woman that is from an alien species, and she has this thing called the co, and it's on the back of her neck. It's like a fin that lights up when she's sexually aroused, and it's all about like how the men in that species can't control themselves, so they actually will clip the co, and it causes them to be very acquiescent to the men, and so it's in the, the representation of that is actually an Asian woman. And so we talked a lot about how there's the dragon lady stereotype of the the very like sexually aggressive, the very like alluring type. And they also, they had two women that represented those specific type of women. And the other one was a redhead. And there's a lot of like fifth element um, nods there. And I I thought it was really interesting how there's – and Tabby and David and Leah, I'm sure you guys all have recognized this as well. But there's a lot of talk about sexualization of redheads in media.
4: Oh, my word. I could write a whole thesis on that.
1: Yes. And they're often held up as trophies or they're othered. And I mean, I mentioned Fifth Element, but Black Widow, even the little redheaded girl in Charlie Brown, she's held up to be like this object of desire for Charlie Brown, but you never see her face until the very, very end. It's just her red hair. It's like this symbol. Um, And so throughout history, like redheads were seen as witches or evil, or they were highly desired or prized. And so I thought it was very interesting that they have a redhead being in this episode and having this role and after cutting off her hair, it's almost like this idea of like, she is ashamed of her symbol of sexuality, which is the red hair and stuff. And I thought that was, that was clever. So then we have Willow standing at the bathroom, trying to find where Tara is. Tara's not in the bathroom. We have the disgusting scene where she grabs the, the towel, wipes her mouth, and then she hears something in the bathroom tub looks over and it looks like a little boy a 12 year old boy is drowning she tries to help him but her arms go right through him and then he she turns and he's standing right behind her so she screams and then we see riley and buffy and riley stops and goes was that willow buffy says i don't know it doesn't matter And we're like oh buffy must be under a spell because that doesn't sound like buffy at all
0: honestly it was such a jump scare when i was watching this like when um Willow, like, was trying to save that boy. I was like, what is going on? Like, the like, I blinked and they were going from the orgasm wall to, like, all of a sudden there's a ghost. Like, this episode was just all over the place. So
1: back to the party, Willow meets up with Xander and they all kind of compare notes and are like, all right, something funky is going on. Tara shows back up. She says she's fine, but she doesn't like the house. She says that something doesn't feel right. Spin the bottle goes horribly, horribly wrong. It shatters, harming everyone. And then the gang's like, okay, we need Buffy. So they run upstairs, bang on the door. Buffy and Riley don't hear them at all. And we have this like really cool shot, eerie shot where it like pulls back and it's like tunneled as if Riley and Buffy cannot hear anybody else there in their own, in their own world. Um, and then we see vines spreading like creepy fingers from under the door. So all things philosophical um had this quote from this guy named Rob who says that this feels very fairy tale esque and his read an interpretation of the thorns and the, the jungle uh, plants and all that stuff is the episode first came out when I was doing a term paper on fairy tales for a children's literature course. And I found the sleeping beauty visuals, very striking given that Bruno Bettelheim's interpreted Aurora pricking her finger as being symbolic of her first menstrual cycle and the sleep as being the transition between her childhood and sexual awakening. I always thought the episode worked a more adult spin on the fairy tale, which I thought was, kind of an interesting take but i don't really know what you would do with that in context with the episode
0: (laughs) it just reminded me of jumanji remember the old jumanji where like the vines are starting to like come up and grab people's ankles that's what it reminded me of
1: Mm -hmm. old john jumanji how dare you leah i'm offended the only jumanji no i'm just kidding i love the rock and kevin
3: hart too i i was kind of like confused watching it um not I mean, one of the initial sprouting, but also through the episode, as it grows and it, you know, expands and as a vine does. And I was like, what is this trying to say right now? What is this (laughs) nodding towards? What is this about? I'm like, yeah, I can kind of see, like, you know, a a fairy tale, uh, especially in the Sleeping Beauty myth, you know, the whole overgrown vines, you know, hiding the princess away in the castle. But that's Mm -hmm. also not really what's going on here it it, like it again very confusing poorly executed
1: yeah there's nothing here that really is fully fleshed out or makes sense it was like they combined a bunch of random stuff together and none of it actually forms a full picture of what's happening so yeah it's
3: confusing and i don't i don't really think it's supposed to make sense so It's also kind of funny, in an episode about sex, there's no narrative satisfaction ever achieved. Nothing's ever brought to completion.
1: (laughs) The episode is edging us. I was going to say, the episode just edged us the entire time. All right. Then we have the awkward conversation between Buffy and Riley. We're going to ignore that because I don't want to talk about it. Um, everybody starts to run out of the house as there's an earthquake. Graham kind of goes in a trance, starts to quote something that sounds very biblical for ye shall perish, find salvation, in the cross of our Lord and Savior. Forrest, this is probably the first time I've liked him this entire season, goes right, grabs Graham, takes him to the elevator that maggie walsh warned at this is don't use during emergencies when he could have taken the staircase like dude like earthquake 101 you don't use an elevator (laughs) all right but the retinal scan works he gets out they go down into the initiative anya appears at the foyer and then we have a girl a poltergeist that just runs straight through her We have Spike getting tied up into the chair, and then down in the initiative, we have Forrest and Graham talking with some guy who's supposedly in charge that we've never seen before, Um, and so the initiative guys suit up. Um, The rest of the gang gets out of the house, and then we see Julie. Honestly, that was terrifying. Julie shows up, and she's like practically bald, and she's begging them to help her. All right, so Xander, Willow, Tara, Spike, and Anya are out of the house. And they're like, what do we do? Buffy's back in there. And this, okay, this was strike number three for me with Xander. Suddenly, Xander's all like, I can't leave Buffy. I need to get in there. I need to go help Buffy. And he's showing far more concern for Buffy than he. Ever did for Anya and her feelings this entire episode? Even Anya is sitting there like, she's a slayer, she'll be fine. And Xander's like, Look around, Anya, how dare you? Like, I'm going back in there for my friend. And I was like, Gosh, if I were Anya, if I were Anya, that would be the last straw for me. I'd be like, No, I'm done. You clearly demonstrated to me that Buffy is more important than me. And that's been like a pattern since day one. No,
0: or just it. that anyone is more important than Anya, like some random girl at a party was enough to like skew his attention away from her.
2: I think at this point, if you had Xander choose between his relationship with Anya and being friends with Buffy, he would choose Anya or excuse me, he would choose Buffy. And I understand that like, yeah. Buffy's the main character of the show when Xander is one of her best friends. And so, you know, the narrative would make you think, well, obviously you should choose Buffy, but in reality, if you're choosing to be friends with another girl over, uh, you know, being with your girlfriend that's probably uh pretty telling uh, as to your relationship
4: and i think you can be friends with <clears throat> someone of the opposite sex but have clear boundaries oh yeah that's i agree not what the issue is here that's yeah. not what i'm
2: saying i'm not saying you shouldn't be friends no, no, with no, for sure people of the opposite sex yeah. i'm saying that yeah. he's clearly showing that he cares more about buffy than he does about anya at this point totally. and buffy's not even a girlfriend
3: again, for all the talk he had at the top of the episode, he sure is not proving that he's emotionally invested in trying to work on the relationship. Yeah. And the thing is, I wouldn't be angry if this just was an isolated
1: incident, but Xander has been demonstrating his very clear preference of Buffy over all his romantic relationships since the very beginning. And we know he's had a crush on her. It's just been all season long that it We haven't seen any inkling of it, so I thought we'd move past it, but clearly we have not. All right, so there's a quick line that Xander says right here when he's talking about um, people going all Felicity with their hair. So I wanted to talk about this because it is actually relevant to Buffy and um, the WB. So back in 1997, the WB had another show that aired... That starred Carrie Russell. It was created by J.J. Abrams and Matt Reeves. So, you know, the guys that created Alias lost the newest Star Wars movies, uh, Planet of the Apes, and the new Batman movie with Robert Pattinson. So those two guys started a show called Felicity, revolved around the college experience of a girl named Felicity. I was hugely popular in its first season, but unfortunately, a lot of the attention went to Carrie Russell's beautiful, long, curly hair. In the second season, the WB shipped the show from Tuesday nights to Sunday nights, which caused a decline for the ratings. But Unfortunately, Carrie Russell also decided to chop all her hair off right around the same time. Um, all the press and pub- and the public attributed the drop in viewership not to the change of time slot, but to her hair getting chopped off, um, and the viewership started declining. And everybody blamed Carrie Russell chopping her hair. The network executive said. That although storytelling and time slot changes had already created a ratings decline, they said that the all actors WB actors' as future hair changes would be given more thought at the network than it previously would have. In 2010, TV Guide Network listed the hairstyle change at number 19 on their list of 25 biggest TV blunders, with several commentators arguing that it was the reason that the ratings of the show dropped. Uh, Carrie Russell talked about how she received death threats, and strangers would come up to her and say, you were so pretty before you cut your hair. Um, And they clearly saw that it was mostly men that stopped watching the show after she cut her hair and a few women. Um, And I bring this up because this is important because not only was Buffy on the WB, but charmed and angel and charisma Carpenter was directly impacted by this because after season one of angel, she wanted to cut all her hair off because it was very long and very heavy and it was giving her headaches and it was a pain in the butt to style. And she has the care they- too. They wouldn't let her cut her mm-hmm. hair because of this. The network decided that it was, they didn't want ratings to drop, even though it had nothing to do with it. Um, eventually, she was able to cut her hair. And I don't know how much Joss was involved in wanting her to cut her hair or not, but I know that Charisma has since said that she was allowed to cut her hair and that she kind of went extreme with how she cut her hair and how she dyed it because it was the one thing she could control in a time when like her work life was just completely awful and all this stuff.
4: The poor girl like trying yeah. to like gain some sort of power with her body and then them still trying to like demonize her for it is so upsetting. Also, the fact yeah. that people care that much about someone else's hair is insane to me. Like, get a life.
2: Her haircut is cute, too. Her short hair. I just looked it up. It's like, yeah, it's a, yeah. a really good cut.
0: She looks good in anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. She's gorgeous. Like, yeah, it's I don't know. Muscle. People freaking out.
1: So it's, it's, a, it's a cultural thing now. If anybody says going Felicity or, you know, anything that mentioning Felicity, it's in reference to doing something that causes your show or whatever to have a ratings drop. And it's been mentioned on so many other bits of media, um, which I mean, how sad that probably the most memorable part of her show is going to be the fact that she cut her hair and people couldn't deal with that. So. All right, so back outside, Spike's like, I know I'm not the first choice for heroics, and Buffy's tried to kill me more than once, and I don't fancy a single one of you all. And then he's like, wait a minute. Actually, that sounds
4: pretty convincing. And then he just, like, takes off.
3: <laughs> I will say, it was very funny. And Spike, every time I've seen him, has always been a joy on screen. Um, yeah. But again, I kind of wish instead of that whole, again, very funny, not a bad end, But instead of the whole him ending the speech himself, I wish he would have listed all those reasons. And then someone like Anya spoke up like, then why are you here? And him punctuated with something like, because I'm bored, bitch, which would have been just as funny, (laughs) but also kept him in the episode and would have made it way more entertaining. Right. He leaves and we're like, oh, well, there goes all the funniness for this episode. Yeah. I'm like, I guess he's going to go try and rob some people and get drunk now.
0: Spike <laughs> is hands down one of the best things about season four. He just adds a lot of life on the screen in a season that is very bland. I agree. <sighs> okay.
1: So then Xander gets flown blown back, decides to go get Giles And then we cut immediately to the espresso pump where everyone's sitting there completely gobsmacked because Giles has a life of his own. Tony Head's wearing his earring, singing behind blue eyes, and they're just like absolutely like flummoxed. So let's talk about Tony Head in this moment. So prior to being cast in Buffy, Head actually had several roles in musical theater. He's put out a couple of albums as well. He is most notably known for the Rocky Horror Picture Show and his brother Murray is a professional singer, best known for One Night in Bangkok. Um, And then Behind Blue Eyes by the by The Who, was originally written by Pete Townsend, who was tempted by a groupie after a concert but went backstage to resist and wrote a prayer, which is the beginning of this song. The song is written to show how lonely it is to be a powerful person, and which is kind of like Max and Where the Wild Things Are, and it is from the perspective of a man who is hated, shunned, misunderstood, and therefore full of rage. His prayer is asking for deliverance from this temptation, um, which follows with the rest of the episode perfectly. So, and this song sets up Giles' conversation with the older lady, Genevieve, later on in the episode, because it perfectly represents the theme of, and what we have know of Giles, of like, you know, being repressed. And we know that Giles ran away from his time as a watcher. We know he had addictions and stuff like that. So a fun little moment that I felt like kind of enhanced a little bit of the episode and sets up future conversations. He has a
2: really good voice too.
1: Yeah, he does. It's a shame we don't hear him singing more. All right, so Giles is like, how dare you get here? I thought I told you all not to come. And Buffy and Willow's like, it's Buffy. So they go back to the Lowell house and Riley and Buffy are still having sex. And then we go back to UC Sunnydale's library. And they're trying to figure out what happened. Willow finds out that the house actually used to be a home for children. There's a lady named Genevieve Holt who used to uh, – she was the house director and that she's actually still alive. So they go to um, her apartment to try to talk with her and figure out what happened. All right. So this conversation, I think this is the meatiest part of the entire episode. And I think, Catherine, you talked about that. What were your guys' thoughts about this this moment and specifically the conversation and I coming from purity culture coming from all of this stuff, I feel like there's a lot that we could say about it um and I'm just yeah I'm curious about what you guys think about it
3: I will say something I noticed in the punishments that I found interesting and also kind of to be true to life or at least true to what I've seen and what I've experienced is that the boy's punishment, the baptism, can be done fairly privately. Like, she can close the door and take them into the bathroom, but the girls have to carry the embarrassment of a shaved head with them until their hair grows back. It it sort of reminds me of, like, the Scarlet Letter a little bit, where the woman is the one who—they're both punished, but the woman, woman is the one who is cast out and carries the scar of the sexual sin.
2: Well, i will say it depends though because there are other um there are other stories very severe stories of like um ed glenn was a serial killer whose mom was this type of a lady very religiously abusive and she threatened to cut his penis off uh multiple times uh with scissors she literally would grab it and stretch it out so it was painful and then threatened to cut it off so like that type of religious trauma goes both ways um and uh, it can be you know f- physically damaging as well as mentally damaging
3: and and I'm not trying to negate that I, like 100% these guys are traumatized but I'm I'm trying to speak more to like the general trends I've seen like I'm saying the the form of the punishments, the fact that the boys can be done somewhat privately and is sort of like you get it done and you get it over with and the woman's is more considered like a stain. It also kind of goes back to that whole thing about purity culture where you're told like the, you know, it's like the piece of gum story or whatever, like the, the crumpled car. flower, the crumpled piece of paper. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It, it kind of goes to the whole idea that like, your sexuality any use of it unless it's controlled by a man by your by your husband in the end any use expression or just engagement with your sexuality is going to stain you for the rest of your life it's going to take away from your value and you will never be able to get it back
1: yeah and i think there's like this season is about identity so how this all you know becomes a part of that is as human beings were innately sexual, how that is uh, manifested, you know, in different ways and stuff like that. Um, and this episode shows that. And I think that by I mean going back to purity culture, by having this inherent view that sex just point blank is dirty, no matter what context, no matter how you're having it or whatever uh, is damaging to a young person because that is a part of your personhood. It's a part of your humanness. Um, and obviously this episode is trying to show us, uh, you know, like obviously Willow and Tara, you know, they haven't come out yet, but there's a very obvious connotation there, um, with them being gay and, uh, watching, you know, Anya wrestling with the fact that, you know, sex or not having sex means you don't love me. And what does that mean? so you have all these people wrestling with sex as a form of identity, as a form of expression for love for other people and for themselves. Um, and then you have these young people, these, these children, who were told that something as simple as wanting to look beautiful and pretty and have your hair down is seen as ugly, as dirty, as as sinful And as even sexual, when you could like to look nice and that doesn't have anything to do with sex, like how damaging is that? I mean, obviously, let's take away the physical abuse, the emotional abuse possibly goes even deeper than that because you have these girls that are afraid to even look nice, even for themselves, for fear of thinking that, oh my gosh, this has something sexual. And I mean, I like a little soapbox of mine, but like my husband and I often talk about how frustrating it is that, uh, sometimes there are things that are made out to be sexual for children at a time when children shouldn't even be thinking about these things. And Mm -hmm. so like, I, I, it frustrates me. And even some of the kids, like once they do like the seance or whatever, some of them are little kids that they show in this episode. And I wonder how much, it wasn't sexual for them. It was just a little girl wanting to look nice or it was just a little boy, I don't know, like wanting to hold someone's hand or it was something innocent. And she tainted it by making it, Not only saying, oh my gosh, you're being sexual, but oh my gosh, it's dirty. But also,
4: you can enjoy Mm -hmm. what you look like as a kid. Like, I remember, like, this is such a stupid small example, but like, I went through, like, especially as a kid, you don't know who you are. So you go through phases of being like, I really like what I look like. And then I was like a tomboy for tears. And then it was like, okay, I'm going to straighten my hair every day. And then I'd be like, I don't know. Like, you're a kid, that's what happens. But I remember, like, like, all of us siblings, you guys used to make fun of me because I went through stage where I'd brush my hair like all the time. And I was a child, I was just like, I like what my hair looks like, you know? um right but like i was just like i like the color of my hair i like to brush it no part of me was thinking of it in a sexual way i was too young to be thinking of it like that could you imagine if someone came yeah. in and then tainted that like you said sarah like that's just awful it damages yeah. you yeah
2: well that's the that's the reality of the situation uh most of the time is that it's the emotional consequences that last long yeah the mm-hmm. physical consequences Yes, they are horrible and people have PTSD and things like that. And I'm not trying to minimize that. But those, in, in general, the physical trauma is much, much less than the emotional trauma mm-hmm. and much less widespread. I, I know many people personally who suffer to this day from emotional repression and uh, sexual mm-hmm. oppression and problems with sex, even though it's been 20, 30 years since yeah. they were in their childhood. And I know for me, and when this this episode was aired, it was very much in the kiss, dating, goodbye culture in the church, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, that's led to a ton of of sexual oppression and and guilt. And you have uh, you know girls taught that uh, their body and their sexuality and their beauty uh, is something to be hidden from men and something to be um it's their job their responsibility to uh, make sure that a man isn't turned on around them when when is mm-hmm. no- has nothing to do with them right men should learn to control their themselves control their eyes even the Bible talks about uh how the the onus is on the man to control yeah, himself.
3: if you if you look upon a woman with lust you know got your, your eyes out, out. Mm-hmm. it doesn't
2: mm-hmm. it doesn't say anything about the woman being looked upon with lust it's not her fault mm-hmm. that the man looked on to her with lust. Right. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it also doesn't say anything about how she's dressed either. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it does look Honestly, at it does
2: not matter. Like I, I'm a paramedic in an ambulance. I see nudity all the time, every single day. I go on shift and I see naked people. right? it's my job, my responsibility to be professional in that situation and not be lewd and not be, um, you know, getting turned on when I see naked people because it's a medical setting. It is a clinical medical setting. The nudity itself has nothing to do with how titillating an environment is, is. It is, it is the responsibility of the person in that environment to uh, rein themselves in and to control themselves, not the responsibility of the person who's on the other end. And that's the unfortunate part of growing up. I mean, I'm sure that this stuff happens uh, with regularity these days as well, but I. I know it was a lot less spoken about in the nineties and early two thousands. And there was very much a culture of repression and silence and, Mm -hmm. um, not, not dealing with anything. And most of the guys that I knew had horrible porn addictions, um, because they couldn't, they couldn't talk to anybody about the feelings that they were feeling. They, they, weren't explained anything, but from their parents, they didn't know what sex was. Extremely so repressed. most of the men yep. in my generation found out about sex through porn mm-hmm. and they found out about, um, you know, all that stuff, not from their parents, not from, uh, sex education classes, not from healthy uh, situations, but through unfiltered access to the internet. And that's caused a lot of emotional damage to the men in my uh, age group. And then the women, you guys can talk more on that than I can, but there's a whole host of other problems that the women have.
0: Well, I mean, that's the problem when you demonize and like kind of shame kids and people for growing up and being curious and not teaching them in a correct way about things, but just immediately calling something wrong or evil or whatever, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't just make those thoughts go away. It just makes them secret to you.
3: Oh, well, it ultimately what it does is it tells people, which is I, I don't ex- I don't understand how like they expect people to have healthy sex lives when they do you know, <laughs> do you know get married and are supposed to make babies and you know all that stuff, but what you are telling people over and over again is that sex and everything you think about sex, everything you feel about sex, is wrong and bad. And then you get, you're supposed to get married and then suddenly start to enjoy it. Like that, it's counterintuitive. What you, you're constantly telling people that like, it's a problem, it's explosive, it's a big deal, it's bad if you engage with it, it is wrong for you to have questions about it. Like, you know, you shouldn't know those things until there's time, you know, until it's time. But then the time comes, and then suddenly you're supposed to have all the information and be totally comfortable having sex and like know what your body wants and knows what feels good for you and doesn't like that's not within how one it happens. day yep <laughs> yeah no like and and that's the thing like sex and sexuality and desire and what you are attracted to is not something that you can really you can control the act of sex you have. You can like you can control whether or not you're going to have sex right now or not. You can control whether or not you masturbate in a moment or not. But things like oh, I feel this weird feeling when I saw this character on screen do this thing. What's that about? Or oh, what are these people talking about when they keep making jokes about how this couple's about to get married? And when you have this culture of like it's almost like don't ask don't tell you just end up creating an environment where again this is the the repression just builds into a a fear ultimately where you end up having people who maybe intellectually understand that yes like i kind of desire sex i feel attraction for a person but then at the same time when they're confronted with the realities of sex are afraid and they don't know where that fear is coming from because they're like well i'm supposed to want it now i'm in the environment where i'm supposed to want it now i'm supposed to be able to enjoy myself now but they've been programmed for 20 plus years that sex is bad wrong sexuality and attraction bad wrong don't engage ignore ignore ignore
1: yep and i think this scene touches on all of that. And you're like, oh, if we could just ma- have made the entire episode about this and really delved into that a little bit more. I think that's the thing that frustrates me about episodes like this with Buffy is that they often have amazing, amazing themes and topics, but it's almost like this show isn't self-aware enough or even mature enough to fully flesh out and really address these things
3: well. Um, and so it ends up just being a missed opportunity. I will also say it's kind of interesting to have this one side and perspective of sexual abuse contrasted with sort of Anya's as well. Because again, Anya sort of has like this hypersexual where sex is the expression of goodness to the point where if there's no sex, it's an expression of negativity in the relationship where she cannot comprehend a... She cannot comprehend love without it. And then you have people who, again, on the other side, cannot comprehend sex not being intertwined with fear. Mm -hmm. It it shows that there's like, you can kind of go too far in both directions. And both are forms of emotional abuse towards sex, like sex used Mm -hmm. for the purpose of emotional abuse and emotional manipulation.
1: All right, so everyone figures out that uh, they're dealing with a poltergeist. Giles says a cluster of them, in fact, born out of intense adolescent emotion and sexual energy that are feeding off of Buffy and Riley. Which is so funny because you're like, okay, did no one ever have sex in Lowell House before? Was like, what was it that specifically about Buffy and Riley that triggered them? Is it going to happen again? Like, there's a lot of questions that are just unanswered in this episode, but it is what it is. So like, all right, how do we stop this? Because Buffy and Riley are just going to keep going until they die. Um, they decide to have like a seance in Buffy and the Willow's dorm room, Willow, Tara, and Giles call upon the poltergeist uh, spirits and Anya and Xander decide to go to the house to try and rescue Buffy and Riley and get them to stop. And the way the episode conveys this, it's almost as if Xander or Anya going with Xander is made out to be like this big moment where Xander and Anya are going to like fight through something together. Like them going through the vines is supposed to do metaphor of them working through their relationship together. And um, ultimately Anya is willing to go and help Xander rescue his friend Buffy. But again, in the context of what we've been talking about with Xander's major issues, it just kind of came across as kind of icky as if Anya was the one doing all the work and she's compromising her stuff to help Xander. And there's no actual conversation that resolves any of this.
2: Yeah. I didn't understand the where the vines came from. We were trying to figure that out during the episode too. We were like, Well, maybe it's supposed to be some sort of like sex fertility magic or something like that, (laughs) you know, but that's kind of reaching like uh, it didn't make a lot of intuitive sense to me why all of a sudden there's vines and plants growing everywhere.
1: I think it's supposed to be a nod to where the wild things are, how it becomes a jungle, just like Max's room became a jungle. But again, it makes no narrative sense apart from like the callback to the episode title. The worst part of this was Xander goes, what do you feel? As they're standing in front of the front door. And Anya goes, upset, afraid of being without you, and a little hungry. And he just brushes it off and goes, oh, and I mean about the house. She's like, oh, still haunted. Like There were so many moments where Anya just wanted reassurance of Xander's love and affection, and he could have given that to her. But instead, he just shuts her down. And it makes me wonder why Anya is even with him.
2: I'm going to show this episode to my future sons as an example of how not to be a boyfriend.
1: Gosh, there's a concerning pattern with Xander of prioritizing Buffy over the girls he's been with. And I know I mentioned before, but I'm just frustrated with
2: it okay and it's weird too because at the beginning of the show in season one he's obsessed with buffy he's like in love with buffy and then all of a sudden he is not in love with her anymore but then he treats her as more important than every girl he's with so it's like okay well are you still in love with buffy It, it gets a little icky
1: All right, so the gang that is back at the dorm room are doing the seance. The kids appear back at the Lowell house. Xander and Anya are making their way through. The vines are starting to get really thick. And then back in the dorm room, like we have the seance going on, the kids get really, really angry. And they lash out through the house and end up knocking uh, Anya back over the banister unconscious. And Xander gets dragged into the bathroom. Honestly, Anya is the MVP of this episode. Girlfriend gets knocked unconscious, impaled through the hand by a vine, rescues Xander rips from being drowned. Rips out the vine.
4: Can we mention that? Literally rips it out of yeah. her hand. Yikes. And then saves
1: Riley and Buffy, all while thinking Xander was going to break up with her. Mm-hmm. I just got to say, this girl won all my respect this episode.
2: She should have let Xander drown.
0: yeah saves the boy it just sucks that in order to get an episode where Anya is like the main focus it has to be in an episode where Xander sucks like why can't it be that like you can highlight Anya without Xander having to be a crappy person
1: yeah also I think what adds to the confusion of this episode for me is there's that moment where Willow's doing the spell and she says um, get over it to the poltergeist. And then Anya says, shut up, repressed cry babies. I understand they're talking to a poltergeist, but it does feel like a minimization of the children's pain as if, okay, that's a not, that's enough rage. And that's what happens when, and this is a common problem on both Buffy and Angel is where they make the victim also, the perpetrator, also the villain. You can't do it both ways. So even though these aren't, this isn't technically the children, this is a manifestation of their rage, it's still problematic because those children, like seeing the poltergeist children faces is the only representation we have of the actual physical children. And so it muddles your message and makes you think that they're actually blaming these kids for being upset about all the atrocities that happened to them. They did this in pangs, they've done this multiple times over. Angel, and it's really frustrating. I wish there was more of a distinction.
2: I would say, Sarah, that that's not only a problem with Buffy and Angel, that's a problem with a lot of supernatural type shows because you that's mm-hmm. a trope in, in supernatural. Um, mm-hmm. have you seen or heard anything of The Magicians? Um, anyway, it's a TV show, it's on Netflix. Uh, but one of the main villains in season one uh, was like molested as a child, and then he um, wants power, so he he like dives into this magical world and then gets ends up getting consumed by the power and becomes this horrible villain. Um but he has this like horrible backstory and then you know and and, and there are other uh other stories and, and stuff like that, but it it seems like in the fantasy genre in general, mm. it tends to have victims become villains. Um it seems to be a bit of a trope there.
1: And I'm all for having a layered villain who has a tragic backstory as long as there's a very clear distinction of taking responsibility for the stuff that they are actively participating in and also having sympathy with what happened but I feel like when you're able to do it over long-term storytelling it works great but when you have one-off characters it's really hard to be as nuanced as you need to be
3: the supernatural element sort of adds another layer to it because there's this idea that like you're not normal because of it it's this idea that like, yeah, you've been hurt and you may even have just cause for acting out, but if you would just get over it, you could be normal.
1: Yeah. Which again, might be a symptom of the writers not knowing how to work through the pain to get to the other side. They they know how to portray trauma. They've been through trauma. They know what it feels like, but they don't know how to actively like
2: work through it. But I would say that they've done it in Buffy better. Um, like in the first that season, the little boy that's in the coma because he was abused, mm-hmm. and they have to fight all of his uh, monster his. Too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like mm-hmm. I feel like that is a similar type story that was handled in a much better way mm-hmm. that doesn't put blame on the victim themselves.
1: That's a good point because Genevieve, the actual villain of this episode gets absolutely no repercussions mm-hmm. for her for anything that she
4: does. We just talked to her. Yeah, Giles
2: pulls her off for like two seconds and then that's it. Well
4: also the boy in in a nightmares is very empowered in that episode. Like he he removes like mm-hmm. the face of the monster and it, it's like very metaphorical, very well done because it's like when people are being abused, sometimes like they won't even especially when they're kids, they won't even process who it is or what they look like because there's just so much terror that happens um which is such a real response to a lot of physical trauma um and so the fact that like the monster itself was someone he knew but then also a monster that was faceless we didn't we couldn't recognize him the kid couldn't recognize that it was his coach has a moment that he realizes that it's, it's his coach and then like walks up to the monster and, and the episode ends with him like kind of defacing him you know like very well done yeah. very like kind of giving power back to the boy but this one is just like we talked to her Giles has some choice words that are very minimal from what I would do. I'd be throwing hands, um, and then they walk out.
2: Yeah, expose that old bitch! Like she's literally <laughs> just she's literally just uh, admitted to abusing kids mm-hmm. for like I don't know who knows how long, and she's got the freaking medal yeah. that you know and all this stuff. Like I'd be going right over to the nearest police station and report and like uh, newspaper stand and being like, "Oh, I got a scoop for you." uh mm-hmm. like drag her name through the mud let everybody know what she's been doing for so long like mm-hmm. that's the problem is that people who uh who d- did these things like for some reason institutions like to keep silent about what's going on with these people it's like okay just because you're old uh doesn't mean that you get to live the rest of your life in obscurity and in happiness if you did all these things 10 20 30 years ago and it's now coming to light. Well, you should still have to face consequences.
3: If you if you truly are, I mean, kind of going back to like the, or, or the whole Christian part of it. If you truly are worried and you truly care about, you know, like she is claims to be worried about, you know, everyone's place in heaven. If you truly care about that and you truly care about being close to the Lord and one with the Lord, repent now. Like, I don't want to be all fire and brimstone, but repent now. <laughs> Like, if you have done wrong and you realize in your old age that, oh, looking back on it, yeah, that that was kind of messed up, repent now. Don't wait until you get to heaven and you're, you know, face to face with God. Like, come to terms with your sin now. Confess your sin now. <laughs>
2: Well, she doesn't see it as sin. She's still kind of right. bragging about it. The evilness you know?
3: of this is she
1: doesn't see the 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 wrongness in what she had done. But yes, I agree with
3: you, Catherine. It's also kind of as much as like again, I I do not like Xander in this episode as much the whole smelt it dealt it line is kind of fucking annoying. <laughs> <a way. laughs> He's like, "I'm just paraphrasing what you said there, Giles." Mm-hmm.
1: All right, so Xander and Anya Fight together. It's metaphorical. Them fighting for their relationship without ever having a conversation. It's supposed to be moving and beautiful. They get to the doorknob at the same time, and they open it up. And Buffy and Riley are like, "Gosh, why are you not knocking?" And we're like, "Oh, thank God, it is gone." And supposedly, like everything is all better now. So you know, the next time that someone has sex in this house, this isn't going to happen again. Like, what what happened here? Like, there's just... I don't know. It, there's a lot of questions, but whatever. Let's move on. So then we go to Rocket Cafe. It's the next day. They're all debriefing. Buffy's apologizing. She says, I'm so sorry. I had no clue. I, It's just – it's so sad. She says, I'm so sorry, Will. If Riley and I hadn't gotten so wrapped up in each other, none of this would have happened. Once again, Buffy is blaming herself when this was not Exactly. Her fault that's what pisses me all. off.
0: It's like, like – it's not your fault. You yeah. had sex with your boyfriend. Like – Ugh, it just pisses me off. Like that, Buffy always feels the need to have to bear a responsibility that's not hers.
1: Yeah. Yep. And the show, trying to be subtle through Anya, has her say true. And then look at Riley, feel shame. So it's like this whole idea of like the episode is about experiencing and feeling shame from having sex. And they were trying to portray it as a negative or as that idea's negative. But then they joke about it at the very end when Buffy is – after she's been punished for having sex, when she's feeling guilty about it. And even though it is a joke, you're like, you can't do that. It's already all muddled and messed up. We don't know where you're going with this. Um, They talk about how horrible it must have been, Buffy and Riley, share a brief look. And we're like, yes, horrible. And Riley's like, it was awful. And then the episode just ends. And we're left going, what? fever dream was this yeah it (laughs) ends like
2: so abruptly i don't know the the episode kind of like makes me mad at certain points because it's like what was (laughs) the point (laughs) of all that
1: i don't think the episode knew honestly what its point was
2: like i i I saw buffy years after it was released i think we all did um we were all a little young to watch it like Mm -hmm. as it was coming out um but if i Was a huge Buffy fan back in the day, and it came out once a week. And this was this week's episode. I'd be like, "Are you freaking kidding me?" Now I got to wait a whole other week for a better episode.
4: Imagine not binging shows. Imagine.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, there are shows now like The Last of Us that come out once a week, but they're you know each episode is great. So,
1: all right, guys. That was where the wild things are, David and Catherine. Thank you guys again so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> for coming on
3: such a painful episode.
2: Of course. Always have fun.
3: I had, I'll admit the <laughs> episode itself was not as <laughs> enjoyable as the last Fair. one, Fair. but I had a good time. I, I feel like it's, uh, it's faults were nice yeah. jumping points for like, topics of conversation you know it was a good it was a good like starter to a good conversation
1: right at the very least the writers introduced an interesting concept for you know a topic for discussion yeah and, yeah we can, not that they really went anywhere with it. it no no they really didn't <laughs> but yeah they were brave enough to at least broach the topic which i i do appreciate i'm not going to give them credit for it but i i appreciate the effort All right. But guys, let us know your thoughts on this episode. Do you think that it is possibly the worst episode of all time? Let me know what you guys think is the worst Buffy episode because I'm always really curious on people's thoughts of that. Uh, What do you guys think of the themes of this episode? Do you feel like there were moments that made sense to you? Do you guys have an explanation for the vines? Because I'd love to hear it. I truly do not understand what was going on with that. And it's very rare for me that I ever don't understand what's happening in Buffy. So I was about
4: to say, I was like, dang, you stumped Sarah.
1: Please enlighten me. I would love to know. As always, guys, you can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr, Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And we will talk to you guys next time.